The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. If you're interested in natural and herbal medicine, then this episode is for you. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. Peter cried out, we're all gonna die. It's my opinion that we all should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues involved with off-grid living. And from time to time, I'll throw in some political comments as well, because I really do feel that our republic is worth saving. And any chance I have to do that, I take it. My goal I wish to accomplish with this show is to make my listeners self-sufficient and also to help them build their faith in God. This show comes to you from the Harmony Barn Studio, located near Hershey, Nebraska in the United States of America. This show is aired on KYAH, 540 AM, Delta, Utah, Utah's Talk Authority. It can also be heard on 89.3 FM, Key Radio in Osage Beach, Missouri. And on shortwave, it can be heard on WRMI, Radio Miami International. This show is also a podcast available on demand by these services. Anchor, Spreaker, PodPoint, and PodPage. And I thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to welcome my first guest to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. And we have Karen Bond, and I'm going to let Karen tell you a little bit about herself because she's quite an accomplished woman. She's got an awful lot of things on her plate, and it seems like that she's been successful in almost every endeavor that she's tried to get in. And I know she's in the medical field, and that's the reason that she's on the show, is because I would like to introduce some people to some of the good guys some of the white hats out there in the medical profession. So, Karen, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Jim. I really am honored um, and just feel really privileged to be here and be able to share whatever you ask me with the listeners. Okay. Well, it's good to have you aboard. Thank you. Tell a little bit about yourself, uh, some of the things that you've done and, and uh, the profession you're in and so forth. Well, I appreciate the um, the glowing accolades there in the introduction. Um, I've never heard myself 
um, defined as quite accomplished. So thank you. I actually was a horrible student in school. So, um, but with God, all things are possible. So here I am today. Um, well, as you said, I'm in the medical field. I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I have my master's in public health and clinical research, and I'm also a um, advanced clinical registered herbalist. That's pretty much my background. And so and, you, um, you're also a research scientist, is that correct? What I did was I have a background in clinical research. I worked as a nurse researcher or a, a, a clinical coordinator where I was, um, I worked under the principal investigator doing multi-center clinical trials on RNA-mediated viruses, particularly the RNA-mediated virus of the liver, hepatitis C. Now, to me, that sounds very accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, for the grace of God. (laughs) And and I've got to say that when you are in that position that you hold, uh, you are probably doing, I would say, the lion's share of the work. Well, that's actually true. As a person that does clinical research, you're not doing academic research where you sit behind a desk and you experiment on things. You're actually in the trenches and you see the patients and you see them on a regular basis. So you're right. You you are doing most of the work. Yeah, you're doing a lot of work. And it's a lot of really good work that needs to be done because a lot of things happening right now with modern medicine is turning a lot of people off as far as the tyranny and so forth. But there is a good side, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. But uh, I'm going to start with some questions, and uh, I'm going to let people get to know you a little bit as a person, because through some emails and a couple of phone calls, I'm getting to know you, and you're a very nice person. Really honored to know you. Anyway, I'm going to keep things simple today, but I'm going to ask you about your faith, because this show is very much faith-based. And I think that no matter what kind of research or what kind of occupation, if you don't put the Lord first, if God isn't first in your life, then you need to rethink your life a little bit. And so I'd like to ask you about your faith and and, uh, how it's inspired you and helped you to where you are today. Well, thank you. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, Really, you're nothing without the Lord. Even with the Lord, it's, it's... the Lord that gives you the power and the strength, the breath, and whatever you need to accomplish whatever he has set out there for you on your path. My faith in God has always really been paramount in everything that I've achieved and everything that I've tried to achieve and failed in. But it, it really has been the crux of why I do what I do and why I got where I, where I am. Believe it or not, like I said earlier, I, I really was a horrible student in my early years. I, I grew up with a lot of great obstacles in my life. I actually, I have a genetic disorder. It causes muscle weakness and bone weakness and some immune issues. And growing up, I had multiple learning disabilities. So there was a lot of absenteeism and I was hindered by that absenteeism and missing a lot of school, sometimes over 30 days in the course of a year. You had to catch up. And so school was not my favorite. You know, it was ongoing, an ongoing struggle for me. And it resulted in me being a poor student. But um, there were a few life-changing events for me as a child that really directed my life and built my faith. Um, My family wasn't particularly religious when I grew up. 
and we were we were very poor. My parents couldn't afford babysitters or vacations or things like that. So as a result, it actually turned out to be a blessing for me because they, my mother and father would take me, um, like drop me off at a Sunday school, well, myself and my siblings at a Sunday school. Um, they wouldn't go to church, but it would be a nice place to drop us where they would get a little bit of time together um, in the summers, sometimes vacation Bible school. And I really have a lot of good memories going to a, a Mennonite vacation Bible school when I was young. Occasionally, my mom would tell tell us Bible stories, um, so she she definitely had some form of a church background, but we really never went to church. But I do have vivid memories of my mom having us like sit quietly between 12 and 3 on Good Friday, and so I think she really did the best she could, um, but I believe that all that was a foundation for my faith today. I used to love to hear the Bible stories. And I did believe in God, and I absolutely believed the Bible. But it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I really encourage anybody out there to invest in in people in their neighborhood. Because I remember I met a woman who targeted some of the children in the neighborhood. And she would kind of try to redirect and rescue us. And in her attempt to keep some of the kids out of trouble, she started to share the gospel but what she did was she brought us into a little singing group in the neighborhood and we would go to nursing homes and perform and i was singing christian songs that i still remember today that i had no idea what they meant but it was fun for me as as a 11 or 12 year old eventually the lord moved her on and shortly after took her out they went to work at hershey um, in my state they had a children's home there and they left and went to work at Hershey. But she explained the gospel to me and um, she talked about salvation. And shortly after that, I read the Bible. And I think that's my testimony is that because of that, the Lord preserved me and protected me throughout all those years. I lived in the city, there were drugs and there was a lot of peer pressure and you know, all of that, but I never felt that peer pressure. I believe I got saved during that time. It just shows that this is the power of God. It's the power of God that we serve, the power of God in the gospel. And that's really my testimony is that he preserved me, you know, through all those years that I didn't feel peer pressure. That in turn, <laughs> you know, really called me. And one of the reasons I went to school even though I was a poor student, is that the stronger my faith became, the more I really believed the Bible verse that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I absolutely believe that. And that's what changed my outlook on my pursuit of higher education. So Jim, I guess I'd say to your listeners that God loves us and um, he loves to use unknown people in big ways for the advancement of his kingdom. And he really did. He used this woman in my neighborhood. He used some of the vacation Bible school teachers where I was dropped off. I was like that verse in 1 Corinthians 1 26, where it, it talks about consider your calling. Not many of us were wise according to the flesh. We weren't mighty. We weren't noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. And I think that's, um, 
that's really a reflection on my life and my faith. Well, you have quite a testimony there that you've overcame a whole lot of things. And if the listeners want to get anything out of that, from what I hear, is that although that you were a poor student, you were not a poor student in life. Life in general, you were paying attention. And you also were able to overcome through your faith. And a lot of people like to have excuses of why they don't get something done, why they don't get something accomplished, or you know, just anything in life, they have an excuse. And it sounds like that you're just the opposite of that. You looked at a problem and you just had to overcome, and you did. I think a lot of that was my dad. Um, He just had such will and determination and would tell us things like we could do anything. And that coupled, you know, with reading that Bible verse. I mean, when you're a new believer and you read something like that, that you can do all things through Christ, it just really gave me the strength and the courage to do the things I felt like God was pushing me in my life to do. And he opened the doors and just allowed me to walk through. Well, you're a living example of what faith and having true faith, how that can manifest in your life. If I can encourage your listeners on something, I hear so many people, not just, not just people in church or believers, but people everywhere. Well, when you talked about excuses, they'll say things like, well, this person, you know, they're just bad or they're just doing this behavior because after all, look at where they grew up or, or look at, you know, look at their environment. But honestly, with the gospel, that is the great equalizer because hearing the gospel, no matter where you grow up, I grew up in a, I mean, I was exposed, not not me taking it, but I was exposed to a lot of drugs in my own household. And it it could have gone very bad for me. But that is the power of faith in Christ, because you really do become a, a new creature. All things pass away and you become new. And the same God that has the power to save us has the power to keep us and preserve us. Well said. And you know what? We forgot to tell people where you were from. Philadelphia. Yeah, from Philadelphia. So, yeah, because I got the to thinking. The city of brotherly shove. <laughs> the brotherly shove is right. Isn't that too bad that it's not the city of brotherly love anymore? Yeah. Uh, what inspired you to get into the medical field? I do believe that, you know, the inspiration actually came from the Lord. I have to say, as I said earlier, I was really a poor student academically until high school biology. And where I went to school, I went to a a public school in the city of Philadelphia. And so sometimes just showing up could get you an A. Oh, boy. (laughs) I mean, I'm not over-exaggerating. Like, there were so many children that just cut school that you were considered good if you just showed up, even if you weren't academically a good student. I ended up in high school going into biology. I struggled with everything else, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic in my early years of school. But when I got to biology, I already was a believer in Jesus. And biology seemed to come easy for me. It was actually the first easy A that I ever got. I struggled for C's and it was the first easy A I ever got. And I was fascinated by it. And I really believe I was fascinated by it because I believed in creation. And I was able to use a microscope for the first time and it opened up a whole new world. I just always marveled at God's creation. And now 
I was seeing his creation under a microscope. And it was like learning about God on a microcosm. So I was able to see bacteria and viruses and red and white blood cells. And, you know, I was able just to see things move and multiply. And I'm not just talking about biology, but other high school science courses. I was able to be in a, um, because I did do well in this course, I was able to be in another special course um, regarding microbacteria. It was a medical technology course, and I was able to look at um, like bacteria and all kinds of things. So I saw cellular anatomy, and it was like a whole new universe that opened up to me. And I had a whole new perspective on God's creation, and, and I knew I was inspired to go into the medical field and help other people at that point. I, I just needed to know more. Yeah, it sounds like you were born to do what you're doing. It really does. It sounds like that that was God's plan for you from the beginning is to put you where you are today. I agree. I believe God's sovereign and directs our steps. So I, w- I would agree with that. Not once have you mentioned that you were in it for the money. <laughs> well, when I started out in nursing, it, there wasn't any money. <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually started in education and and moved to nursing. But yeah, thank you. But, I, but you're, doing it, you're doing it from the heart. This is something that is you. It's not something that you d- decided as a profession to build a bank account. This is a profession because it's in your heart. It's in your soul. It's, it just burns inside you. This is what you need to be doing, which I think is amazing considering right now we have, I think, an overabundance of people in the medical field that are willing to do anything for a, for a dollar. I hate to say that, but it just seems that way to me. I, I may be wrong. No, I do agree with you, Jim. I think there are a lot of people and I you know, my first year, I went to LaSalle University, and my first year in pre-med, I actually was shocked at people who pursued it for income. And there were, there were people out there like that. So I agree. There are a lot of, there are so many, you know, to encourage your listeners, there are still many altruistic people that don't do it for the money. But yeah, there are a lot of people that do do that for, for the gain. Well, I talked to a pre-med student I can't remember exactly the situation or the school. I wouldn't mention the school anyway. But the instructor came out and told the class and said, okay, I want to get one thing straight before we get started, is you're going to lose 100% of your patients who are going to eventually die anyway, so you might as well make some money. And that's how he started, oh, wow. his, that's how he started his class. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pre- horrible. That's pretty cold, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. Yes, it is. I was just going to say, I'd like to think that this profession chose me. I think God chose you to be in this profession. Is the what, well, what, that the is true. But I didn't initially want to be a nurse. I wanted to be a physician. Now, in retrospect, I'm, I'm glad I'm not. But I got a chance to work with some incredible people that were nurses and one was working on a cardiac study for women. I didn't know she was a nurse. I thought she was a physician. Another was working in case management. So there were some pretty awesome people that I worked with before I became a nurse. And I realized that the nursing profession worked in all areas, just all arenas. And, you know, wasn't just bedside nursing, which is really admirable as well. But I realized that nurses were were everywhere. It's actually, according to the Gallup poll, for I think the 18th or 19th year in a row, it's the most trusted profession above clergy, above physicians. Um, Your listeners can look that up. So 
I'm proud to be a part of this profession, and I do believe God led me into it. Well, I know me personally, I think the doctors take the credit that I think the nurses do the work (laughs) and deserve the credit. So how did you become interested in natural medicine and herbs and things like that? It really was a process, Jim. I I grew up with a mother that used a lot of natural medicine out of necessity, mainly because we were pretty poor. We didn't go to doctors, you know, for illnesses. My mom knew a lot of both type of medicine, medical purchase, medicine for childhood illnesses. For example, she used to treat our ear infections with something that she called sweet oil, where she would take an oil like olive oil and she would infuse garlic in it and sometimes other herbs that she might pick off her little postage stamp lawn in the middle of the city. But she would make, you know, this oil and she would take a little dropper and put it in her infected ear and um, just put a cotton ball in her ear and lay us on her side. And I got rid of my ear infections, so I, I it, it worked. For sunburn, you know, like if we were outside and we played, we got sunburn, she would put us in a, a bath of tea. And she would always talk about how the, this particular tea that she used contained tannic acid and that the teal, uh, tea would help cool and diminish the burn. And for poison ivy, she would do things like oatmeal baths. And I was probably the only kid that was known for her mother picking dandelions off of neighbors' fields because she knew it was good for the liver. And she knew that, you know, there's a, a little, it's a weed that grows in the cracks of city sidewalks called sorrel. And it has like a little lemony flavor. So she even knew edible herbs. So I think part of that was I saw, I saw it in use, but it turned out that, you know, it all was valuable information and all proven true and effective. And even though it was folk medicine, when I entered nursing school, and especially when I did clinical research, I just kind of rejected all that natural medicine. And because allopathic medicine or modern medicine, you know, everything studied and peer reviewed and pharma driven and You know, they almost put it in your head that anybody that does anything else that's unproven is is quackery. So for a while, I really rejected it. I actually went on and studied clinical research and became a nurse clinical research coordinator. And like I said before, I I was over randomized controlled multi-centered clinical trials for a medication called interferon alpha 2b which was an antiviral and like an anti-neoplastic drug. And it worked for these hepatitis C patients as an immunomodulator to help their own immune system fight the virus. So I really rejected so much um, for a little while. But what really caused me to delve further into natural medicine was as I worked with these hepatitis C patients, During that time, some of these were really desperate patients because hepatitis C would usually would lead to liver transplantation and is the leading cause of liver, what they call hepatocellular carcinoma or liver cancer. And even the virus itself at that time was newly discovered around 1992. And so nobody really had a cure. So, so many of the patients were very concerned about moving on to transplantation or liver cancer, and it was really a valid concern. 
And RNA viruses are very tricky. The hepatitis C virus has the ability to change its outer protein coat and elude your immune system. We all heard of like, you know, viral mutations and strains and things like that with COVID. But it's really true that like hepatitis C had that ability, has the ability to change its outer protein coat and elude your immune system. So only about 6% of the people really got through treatment and, you know, got rid of the virus, what they call clear the virus or had a sustained virological response. And it was a hard medication that had a lot of side effects. So my patients, almost all of them, even the ones that didn't believe in alternative therapies, started to seek alternative therapies. And as a clinician who was responsible for this study, you really have to, you know, make sure what your patients are doing because you want to have accurate data. And it's um, it it was a long, grueling, usually one year of this medication that patients would use. So as I said, they all started to see herbal therapies. And I started to learn that there were some medications, I mean, some, some uh, herbal therapies that were hepatoprotective. They protected the liver, but there were also others that were um, what they call hepatotoxic, and that would damage the liver. And because things get filtered through the liver, and these patients were there for a liver disease, and they wanted medication to try to heal it, a lot of the patients self-administered herbs. And they got, some got good advice, some got very bad advice, and some tried to just self-treat themselves. And so I felt conflicted, but I came very convicted that I needed to learn more because all my patients were on these various things that some I was familiar with and some I didn't know at all. So I felt like I had to get more education. I had a lot of patients on milk thistle and milk thistle really is hepatoprotective. It really does have a protective effect on the liver, but some were on others. So I started to seek education myself on herbal medicine so that I could then help and advise my patient because here, patients, because here I was, you know, they'd see me every week or every couple of weeks. And I got to really know them and know their families and who they, who brought them in and how they were doing and how they, you know, maybe they were struggling and yet I couldn't advise them on things. And I knew, I knew I needed to learn more when I started to research and I discovered that over 80% of the world's population used herbal medicine as a form of their primary health care. And, you know, that was shocking to me because we don't, we don't promote that in the United States, but there's other countries that still do have herbal medicine as their kind of their first line. So I, I really needed to know more and I knew I needed to help my patients. So I found at the time the National Institute of Health had opened up an office of alternative medicine where they would investigate alternative medicine. And um, it's now called the Office of Complementary and Alternative Medicine, I believe. But they still have this, the, the office. And I knew I had to learn more. I felt like God was driving me in that direction. And I found a five-day conference called Natural and Alternative Treatments in the Study of Liver Disease. And I went to it. And there were botanists there, and there were naturopaths. And it, it really, you know, 
um, just sparked my desire to learn more. Another reason I was attracted to natural medicine was, again, because of my faith. I've always loved the beauty of scripture, and I found wisdom in the pages, and I, I believe it, it's full of wisdom and, and, and the truth. I believe it's infallible and inspired and um, from cover to cover. So I read about all these healing herbs of the Bible, and I never noticed them until this point in my life when I started to study. And all of a sudden, I saw them all over the pages, you know, from perfume to anointing oils to, you know, the Lord talks about tithe. They tithe cumin, and I saw them as food. And, and I thought, wow, you know, God put them in here. I need to learn more about them. So I, I started to look at some of the examples, like in Luke 11, where Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, you pay tithes of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. So he talks about herbs here. Jesus, here's Jesus actually talking about tithing mints and garden herbs. And then I read in Exodus, in Exodus 30, where Moses is instructed by the Lord himself to make an anointing oil. And it was to be incense, but also to consecrate the temple and the ark and the lampstand. And all of a sudden, you know, I see this recipe made of spices of myrrh and sweet smelling cinnamon and aromatic cane and olive oil. And I thought, wow, God's giving this herbal recipe to Moses to consecrate the temple and for incense. So, um, then I saw things like in Psalms where it talks about purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. And I started to wonder, well, does hyssop have any medicinal properties? And even in Second Kings, this really blew my mind. So when I read in Second Kings 20, where I believe it was Hezekiah, I hope I'm right, but I'm taking this off the top of my head. But the Lord gives him 15 years added to his life. And he says he'll deliver him. Uh, he'll deliver him in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and that he'll defend the city for his name's sake. And then he goes and tells Isaiah, and Isaiah goes and tells the king. Isaiah tells him to prepare a poultice, you know, a cake, which is a poultice in herbal medicine of figs. And they brought it, you know, they prepared it, and they brought it, and they applied it to his boil, and he recovered. So there was an example in my eyes of an herbal medicine that God himself gave to Isaiah to give to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah got better. So there were just so many things. And, you know, like Ezekiel, when it talks about there's a river and on both sides of the river, there's all kinds of trees food. And he talks about the, the leaves and the fruit won't fail. But in that, he, um, he talks about the leaves will be for healing. And that just, that's a reference that I believe Revelation quotes, where it talks about in the middle of the street of the city, that on both sides there's, of this river, there's the tree of life, and it has 12 kinds of fruit, and it's yielding all this fruit every month. But there again, it talks about there's going to be, the leaves of that particular tree is going to be healing for the nation. So that really got me so much more into herbal medicine. Because I felt like it was very um, consistent with biblical truth. So do you think it's possible for both modern medicine and herbal medicine to coexist? 
Jim, not only is it possible, I think it's necessary, especially when I read that quote I gave you that over 80% of the world's population um, uses herbal medicine as their primary health care. That quote was a quote from 2013. And at the time, it was about 4 billion people. And that was a quote directly from the World Health Organization. So I think it's really necessary because, you know, the world's coming to us, regardless of what we think about immigration or illegal immigration. God's bringing the entire world to our streets. And if 80% of them, or who knows what it is now, because like I said, that estimate was in 2013, and, and natural medicine has only grown, especially during the couple years worth of COVID when people couldn't see their doctors, it's probably much more now. So the problem is that it is a challenge because in America, it's not easy. It's really not easy because you get a lot of pushback, especially when you're in the medical field. You get a lot of criticism. If they feel like it's not studied, you know, they feel like it's not valid, although there's a lot of studies now in, you know, with herbal medicine, but you do get a lot of pushback. I really feel like I need to be a bridge between the two fields, you know, the fields of natural medicine and the fields of modern Western allopathic medicine. And actually, that's why I, I made it a mission since like 2016, maybe, to try and call nurses back to the roots, no pun intended, <laughs> of natural, you know, holistic care. Um, I'm kind of fighting an uphill battle. Um, because so much of society is dependent on pharmaceutical medicines, and they do have their place. Trust me, if I need an antibiotic, I'm, I thank the Lord and I'm grateful every day for that. But it seems like we've lost, particularly in our country, the knowledge of natural healing through diet and botanical medicines. And like I said, I'm grateful for things that save our lives, like antibiotics. I'm grateful for surgeons. You know, if I my appendix ruptures. I want a surgeon to take it out. And so we do need that. But there's also so much that we can do. You know, we don't have to pop a pill for everything. And it saddens me that we've lost our skill and our knowledge of plants and plant medicine that our grandparents had. I mean, there was a time in our country when people ate gardens and they ate real foods and they drank medicinal teas, and we've really lost that. So when I went, I went to an herbal medical school. I had to do a weekly paper. They called it a monograph, and it was on various herbs. And it had to be six pages or more every week. And I hate paper writing, but this was pretty fascinating. And during my research on these botanical medicines, I was shocked. I mean, I was absolutely shocked to know that our country's history of medicine was herbal medicine. Because you get so trapped as a clinician in, you know, modern medicine, and especially me coming from clinical research, you get so trapped in the mindset of what it is right now that you forget to ask yourself, what did we do in the 1800s? What did we do in 1905? You know, we, we don't think what reality was in this country before the development of pharmaceuticals. So for me doing this research, I was I mean, it sounds like it was stupid of me, but really, I was shocked to see that the history of our country's medicine was herbal medicine. And a hospital in my own 
city called Hahnemann Hospital started out as a homeopathic hospital by Samuel Hahnemann, who was a, you know, a doctor of homeopathy. So it's not anymore, but I never really thought of it. And that's, that's why years ago I developed this three credit professional continuing education course for nurses called the practice of nurse herbalism. And it really is just three one hour classes. And um, it was meant for nursing professionals to take them through the history of nurse herbalism and to show them how nurses in this country partnered with plants for years and years and years to for the care and the comfort of their families and their communities. One of the people that I put in this class, which shocked me, was Harry Tubman. I had always learned about Harry Tubman as an abolitionist. And you, you've heard of her. Yes, I have. I think everybody. She's the one that started the Underground Railroad. Right. It was the Underground Railroad. But I really never learned much more about her than the fact that she was an abolitionist and ran the Underground Railroad. But, um, and she lived in this country between 1820, I believe, and 1913. I mean, 1913 is not that long ago, you know. And they know she's an abolitionist. They know she ran the uh, Underground Railroad. But most people don't know that she was a nurse and she also was an herbalist. And her knowledge of edible and medicinal plants helped keep those that she rescued alive and kept them healthy on their trip to the north. So she, you know, it's said that she never lost a passenger, but it's because she knew edible plants and medicines and she taught the people she rescued before they left and came up to the north to escape slavery. And one of the things that really blew my mind was during the Civil War, Harry Tubman left, she was from up here, she left, she went to South Carolina to nurse black soldiers and um, hundreds of liberated slaves in the Union camp during the war. And when that camp got dysentery, because they were really packed in there, um, Tubman famously treated with her skills, you know, her knowledge, her skills, she treated them with this extraction of bitter boiled roots and herbs that was based on her knowledge of folk medicine. And she so successfully treated dysentery that Henry, I think his name was Henry Gallant, he was an assistant um, surgeon in the Union Army, in, in the Union Hospital, in Be- I think it was Beaufort, South Carolina. He commended her. And a medical office, an officer in um, 1864 wrote a, a commendation for her and about her care of the sick. After her work there, she returned to nursing and she worked in Washington, D.C. And she used herbs uh, like lily root to make teas to treat fever and smallpox. And she used flowers and seeds and bulbs. I mean, you can read about this. She treated all kinds of disorders. Everything from like coughs and fevers to tuberculosis. She was so successful, Jim, in treating her patients with herbal medicine as a nurse that her skills and knowledge of herbal medicine in 1892, there was even a a U.S. Secretary of State, William Seward, S-E-W-A-R-D, you can look it up, petitioned our own Congress on Tubman's behalf for a Union Army uh, nurse's pension. It's really unfortunate that she was rejected, but it tells you how skilled she was as a nurse 
and an herbalist. And that that is actually the history of nursing in our country. But who would think about that today in modern medicine? Well, a lot of our history has been kind of erased or covered up because it doesn't fit the modern narrative. I like to tell my listeners to be self-sufficient. And it sounds like Harriet Tubman was the example of being self-sufficient as far as being in medicine and being able to treat themselves and their family. That's something that I think that God put all of the plants and herbs on this planet for us to use. And we need to tap into that. You were talking earlier about Bible verses and some of the things that are mentioned in the Bible. When God created this world, he gave us dominion over the plants and animals. And I think that the answers pretty much lie with traditional, what I would call herbalistic medicine. Now, the modern medicine, like you say, there's no substitute for some of the products and some of the things that they do. But I think to totally discount natural medicine is really a big mistake. I I wholeheartedly agree. And not only was Tubman independent and self-sufficient, she taught the people that she dealt with to also be self-sufficient. And that's how they survived their trip from the South to the North and escape slavery. So at a time when our country um, was just in an upheaval, these people survived because they learned how to be self-sufficient and they were able to stay alive during a very trying time. And so I do agree. With that said, like you said, if I need anesthesia and my, my gallbladder out or something, you know, there's a blessing there. But I do believe we're so dependent on things that we don't need to be dependent on. God's given us so much. Uh, the problem is, like I said, we've lost that knowledge. So the knowledge that maybe even our grandparents had, we don't have anymore and we don't teach it. That's one of the driving forces behind the classes that I developed for some of these nurses to to kind of be a bridge between the natural medicine world. They're in Western medicine, but they can learn about natural medicine. And because nurses are so trusted, I want to really encourage the ones that do have an interest in botanical medicine to pursue it. A lot are afraid to pursue it, but we educate as nurses. And just think if we had a team of nurses that understood this and could teach it to other people. Now, for those who want to discover natural medicine and herbs and that sort of thing, do you have any advice for those people? I love that question. <laughs> so thank you for asking that. Just for those who really are starting out, let me just say what natural medicine really is. It's just a natural approach to wellness, to healthcare, to recovery. It's not quackery or anything that, you know, our critics say it is. It is just a natural approach to wellness, healthcare, and recovery. And usually it's integrated. It's integrated with um, the best of modern medical science and natural medicine. I think a natural practitioner, you came in and you broke your leg and you had to have it surgically repaired. They're not going to attempt to do that. So I don't want anybody to be afraid of natural medicine because many people that I've encountered are very, they'll come to me as a nurse and ask me questions because they know I know birth worlds. But I encourage your listeners not to be afraid to do research in it and just make sure they know their sources. 
So natural medicine looks at the God-given natural functioning of the body, and it delves deeper into it to find root causes of illness in order to help the body heal and return to a healthy balance and function. And we really are wonderfully made. And God really has given our own bodies the ability to heal. So natural medicine just focuses on three things, optimizing your health. So where you are today, just optimizing that, building you prevention. We want to prevent illness and on non-pharmaceutical recommendations for those who are seeking help or maybe have a chronic condition that they have to live with. If a client suspects that there's a problem, a practitioner just tries to find the issue behind the patient's complaint and will make recommendations to alleviate the illness and bring that, that person's own body back to balance and healing. Sometimes be patient because sometimes it's not like the Tylenol you take and, you know, 20 minutes later you're feeling great. Sometimes it can be like that, but sometimes it's slower. So it can be a quick process. For example, I use an herb that I love called Andrographis paniculate for colds and flus and sinus infections. And if it's taken within the first 24 to 48 hours of the onset of the illness, Andrographis really can decrease the symptoms and lessen the duration of the illness obviously depending on the amount that you take. But if somebody has struggles, you know, if they've they have a chronic problem and they've been taking care of themselves for years or they have a chronic illness that maybe is progressive or whatever, it can be a slow, arduous and multifaceted process, you know, to bring that person back to whatever their optimal level of functioning is. So I I really want your listeners to know that it really focuses on bringing a person to optimal health and sustaining their health by guiding them towards a healthy lifestyle that supports it, you know, that sustains it. And each each person's an individual. So, you know, each person's plan of care would look different and be unique, but it is best to prevent prevent disease rather than react to an illness after it occurs. So prevention really is where you begin, like with your lifestyle and nutrition and supplementations and exercise, fresh air, sun. You know, we forget we have sun out there. Everybody's been locked down. And so I think that is um, one of the best ways to start. But when you're looking at natural botanical medicine, so I'm going to separate the two because natural medicine can incorporate so many things. but the botanical side of using an herbal medicine. It's been established for thousands of years. It really has. I've had people say to me, well, how do you use whatever? Like I just talked about Andrographis. How can you use that? There's not randomized controlled studies on it. And But I say there's been thousands of years of studies with cultures that have used it successfully with people. And that's, you know, we forget that for thousands of years, there's been cultures that have used certain herbal medicines and have used them successfully, like in Ayurvedic medicine or in traditional Chinese medicine. 
So there really are things out there that have been used for years that we don't have to fear. And like I said, our even our grandparents probably knew about it. With that being said, just because something's natural doesn't mean it's good for us. There are, you know, hemlock and arsenic are natural, but they're poisonous. So we really do have to educate ourselves on which plants have healing properties and which plants can be um, a toxic type of botanical. Like I said before, there are herbs that will support and help the liver and herbs that will be toxic to the liver. So that's, that's an important start as well to be aware. But I would say the best thing to start out with, if you're going to look at natural therapies or remedies, that I would start in your kitchen. I mean, our kitchens are apothecaries. So for somebody that doesn't really know anything and feels lost, there are common food grade type of herbs in our kitchens that really are great. My encouragement to your listeners would be, I guess, starting out threefold. I'm going to say three things. One, that God's given us these bodies. And like the psalmist said, we're fearful and wonderfully made. We have a great physician and he is the ultimate healer. And when we read in the four gospels in the Bible, we see many accounts of miraculous healings that Jesus performed. He healed, you know, in Luke 17, he healed leprosy and he healed paralysis and blindness and deafness and even brought three people back to life. When we think about it, he had the widow and the daughter of Jairus and he had Lazarus. So really ultimate healing comes from the Lord. But he not only heals us physically, he heals us mind, heart, soul. And we see that in the scriptures too. And the reason I'm stressing this is because our society today has really gotten so complicated and so stressful and so anxiety filled with pandemics and the threat of yet another pandemics with monkeypox. And, you know, there's so many people out there that don't just need physical healing, but they need soul healing and, and mind healing. And the Bible mentions all kinds of aspects of healing the minds and the heart and how Jesus really does take care of us. And we, you know, I think it's First Peter 5 where he talks about how he takes care of our anxieties. And in John, he talks about he gives us rest and peace. And just even in uh, James, maybe it's James says that every good thing comes from the Father above everything we need. So Sadly, the multitudes during Jesus' time didn't understand that Jesus came into the world and why he came into it, and they sought him for the miracles. But he came to do so much more than heal us physically. He came to save us um, from condemnation of sin that we really deserve. When we look at Romans 6, you know, the Messiah suffered the punishment for our sins and gave us eternal life instead. So I want to stress to your listeners that. What good is it if we're healed bodily, but we lose our souls, like Matthew says in Matthew 16? So I want to stress first that we have a great physician. I'm grateful to that great physician for the amazing gifts that he gives us with salvation from our sins and eternal life with God. With that being said, Jesus never promised to heal everybody. I mean, there are still people that go through trials and sickness and suffering. I'm an example. I have progressive illness. It's, I believe he could heal, and I believe if he wanted to, but I, I deal with that on a daily basis. And so 
he does say we'll experience suffering in John 16, but Jesus does want us to be healed and saved from our sins. And one day we will have an immortal body, 1 Corinthians tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll have no more sickness, no more pain. We'll be free from suffering and we'll be in eternity in his glorious presence. So that's an encouragement that I want to start with, that we need to trust God for our lives, no matter what, no matter how well prepared we are or whether we are just starting today and somebody's listening to your show for the first time and is wants to know how to prepare. I'd say the first thing to prepare is trust God for your life, trust God for your health, trust God for your healing, and make sure you have that ultimate, that ultimate healing of your soul. I'm not negating our responsibility to do everything within our power to help ourselves and to be prepared. I'm just stressing that healing comes from the Lord. Sometimes he chooses not to heal like the Apostle Paul who suffered with that thorn in the flesh. So trust him, trust him for his, for our lives. And then I think as well, everything that I do, when healing does come and natural medicine does work, I want to give the honor and praise and the ultimate healing and glory to God that he's able to heal us both physically and heal our souls. So with that being said, the second thing I think I'd like your listeners to know about natural medicine if they're first starting out, is to try to prevent, like I said, prevent illness with a healthy lifestyle. Even Benjamin Franklin, right? I mean, he came from my hometown. He talked about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So it's easier to prevent illness than to try to treat it once it occurs. So it's really worth the time and the investment to take care of yourself. We're either going to, you'll like this one, Jim. We're either going to pay the farmer now or we're going to pay the pharmacist later. So get rid of the, the bag of chips, get off the couch, stop eating fast food and um, prevent illness with a healthy lifestyle. But I think the last thing like with herbs, the last thing I'll say to your listeners about this is that natural medicine, we all have the ability to utilize plants that God provided for us. And like I keep keep reinforcing, we've just lost that knowledge, but I think they could start with culinary herbs. And they're the, like I said, they're the herbs in the kitchen that you have a medicine cabinet right there. We're all familiar with them. They taste great. They have incredible healing abilities and they're, they're even easy to grow. So did you know that like one traditional use of cinnamon was as a food preservative? And then here we are, modern research shows that cinnamon actually does have antimicrobial and antioxidant properties. And it has literally been shown to have an effect against microbes such as like E. coli, salmonella, staph aureus. So it's been used traditionally for years for gastrointestinal complaints and food preservatives, but it's extensively researched now for its ability to lower glucose levels. So I think it was 2007, there, was a ran, there were uh, three, three randomized clinical trials. So they are starting to do like the scientific trials. They had three trials that were randomized in clinical, uh, randomized clinical trials where they looked at several effects of cinnamon on patients 
with type 2 diabetes. And two of those three trials showed that cinnamon was able to reduce fasting blood glucose levels 10.3 to 29%. And that's just cinnamon. I mean, we kind of take that for granted. It sits in the cabinet. We shake it into recipes. But it really does have medicinal effects. Another study showed that cinnamon had the ability to lower cholesterol and not just cholesterol, but the low density lipoprotein cholesterol that, you know, that's the bad, what we call the bad cholesterol, and it lowered triglycerides. Then it was further studied by a Chinese study where they did, because they've used cinnamon for years in traditional Chinese medicine, but they did like a regular Western type of study that supported the study we had here. So, of course, there needs to be more studies on these things, but we know, you know, we already know a lot. So your listeners can't grow cinnamon, right? It doesn't grow here, but there's certainly other kitchen herbs that are easily grown. And I would encourage everybody, everybody can have a small little kitchen garden, even if you're in an apartment, you know, or a little terrace garden. So there's things like thyme and oregano. I mean, we all love that. I, I live in a, a city where there's a, a large Italian population. So I grew up on these things, you know. But if we look at thyme, thyme's been cultivated around the world for thousands and thousands of years. I think the oldest writing about thyme dates back to the third century BC. So they've been using thyme even before the birth of Jesus. And one of the properties of thyme literally stimulates our immune system or what we call in the medical field an immune modulator and it helps fight infection it has antimicrobial properties antifungal properties you have so much knowledge that you could have a show of your own you really could thank you jim i'd probably die trying to do it though but, but you you have that I'll much knowledge on the professionals like you well <laughs> you're, you're the professional it's my opinion of your knowledge and your training, and your heart, and especially your heart, that God has put you in a position to be one of the people that needs to be listened to, one of the people that we need to pay attention to, one of the people that truly has a heart for God and a heart for humanity and helping people. And so I would like to have you back on the show as often as you would like to. Thank you, Jim. I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm humbled by it. It is... Um... It's knowledge that's out there because it's really knowledge that's scriptural knowledge. Well, I think people need to hear what you have to say. Thank you. And I want to thank you too, Jim, because I know nothing about recording a radio show. So really, you're the professional and you're to be commended. And I really thank God for you. And I'm grateful because you're out there. You're telling listeners how to be self-sufficient and prepare. I'm really grateful to know you too, and, uh, and I'm truly humbled. Thank you. And also, as far as if anyone has any questions, what we'll do for right now is you can give me an email, and that's jim at offgridliving.faith, and I'll forward your message to Karen. You've been listening to the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show, and the address is P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. If you'd like to donate, it would be appreciated. And to Karen, I would like to tell you thank you again for being on the show today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.